The Keeping the Nostalgia Alive show is proudly brought to you by the Hoosier Basketball Academy. Want to improve your game and be an elite athlete? Hoosier Basketball Academy, located in the heart of Hoosier Hysteria, provides an excellent opportunity for student-athletes to improve their basketball skills. Their goal at Hoosier Basketball Academy is to provide an opportunity for young athletes to reach their full potential and allow them to compete at the highest level. Using their training model, they believe a solid foundation of fundamentals and muscle memory training is critical for the development of elite basketball players. This can only be achieved if you are mentally tough, have a strong work ethic, and are willing to sacrifice countless hours needed to be the best you can be. The Hoosier Basketball Academy offers high-intensity basketball training focusing on small groups and individual attention needed to improve your game, as well as specialized training and drills done at game speed to push you to your limits and improve overall physical conditioning. One of HBA's goals is to improve the skills and abilities of each player trained by focusing on ball handling, proper shooting mechanics, speed, agility, and footwork allowing you to take your game to the next level. This training is for players that are serious about improving their skills. Hard work pays off and gives you the competitive edge in practice that carries over to games against your biggest rivals. In addition to offering training, HBA fields highly competitive travel teams with many teams qualifying for nationals each year. Visit HBAElite.com for more info. Be elite and train to be the best. Welcome to Keeping the Nostalgia Alive, the Indiana Basketball Memory Show. Today I am joined by uh, an Indiana legend, uh, Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame 1990 in- inductee, uh, Dr. Ray Pavey. Uh, Coach, thank you so much for taking some time out of your busy schedule to help us keep the nostalgia alive and share your memories of Indiana basketball. It's always great to talk about Indiana around the hall, I'll tell you that. Coach, tell us tell us a little bit about where you were born and raised and who really introduced you to athletics at a young age. Well, I was, I was a minister's kid, so my dad happened to be in seminary when I was born, and then we moved to Orleans, uh, which is down south of Bedford, about, I don't know, maybe 20 miles uh, then from from Orleans to Westport, and spent four years there. And then, uh, as, as I was getting ready to go in, uh, between I guess I started school there. And in the middle of my first grade, we moved to Sullivan. And then, between my sophomore freshman and sophomore year, and we moved to Newcastle. So, you know, introduced me. Well, I, I my dad, I guess he. Uh, he played basketball at, at uh, New Marion, which which is a really small school in Ripley County. But uh, uh, I just enjoyed playing. Was there a particular sport that you really enjoyed first before before you know you you, you got so good at basketball, or was there anybody that uh, you you kind of emulated in that sport? Uh, I I just loved basketball. Not that I didn't like the other sports, but that was number one all the time. I, you know, who did I am with? Yeah, guys. You know, when you when you get back that far, when you're a real little kid, you just you just uh, sort of have heroes on your local local basketball team, and and then uh, you know when I was six, uh, Bill Garrett came on the on the scene, and and uh, he did all kinds of things, uh, but I couldn't jump like him, uh, and then and then uh, you know. Following that, you know, you got Plump, and, and then I think the greatest player ever would be Oscar Robertson. Uh, although, you know, maybe at least in Indiana, you know, some people would would talk about Jordan and Bird and and Magic and so forth. But I'm still Oscar still amazes me. Once you got to Newcastle High School and got kind of settled in, what kind of what kind of sports program or basketball program did they have at Newcastle while when you were there? Well, before you got there, before I got, I think the year before I got there, they were uh, maybe uh, three or four and and sixteen. <laughs> they they had not won but two or three games, uh, and 
uh, and so I was I was lucky enough to come in at a great time because because uh, uh, they they had not had a, a winning team for a while, and so anything you did was was a positive. And we were fortunate enough to have some really smart and good players that uh, were there uh, that really had never won, and just they just sort of needed one more piece of the puzzle. And, and fortunately, I guess I was the piece of the puzzle. Now, now, once you got there, did you initially just start right off the bat at uh, varsity? <laughs> no, uh, it's interesting. On the, I was on the B team, uh, and we're getting ready for the first game. It was like on the Tuesday night before before the first game, uh, which we played against Greenfield. And uh, the B team's on one end, the varsity's on the other, and one of the guards on the varsity turned his ankle really bad, and Coach Lawson yelled, baby, get up here. And that's how I got on the... <laughs> they never got me off the varsity after that. Back then, you know, there was no uh, no AAU during the summer and stuff like that. Where did you find yourself uh, practice, practicing at? Did you have a hoop at the house, or did you get together with kids at a certain ball, or a certain park in Newcastle, or how did that work back then? Well, in Newcastle, uh, uh, they had a Baker Park, which which had really nice courts on it, and uh, people met there. Uh, Usually you wanted to get there at one o'clock, and uh, you got to stay on and play as long as you wanted. When and then whenever you won, you lost. Somebody else replaced you, and and uh, you had to wait until uh, your turn came around again. So it was a it was a real competitive area that uh, you know winning was really important. Now, when you were at Newcastle, had they had they decided to build the new arena, of course, which is the biggest high school basketball gym in the world? Had they decided to build that, but you guys continued to play in the Church Street gym? Is that correct? Okay. The, yes, they had decided to build. And the, the thing that happened was, uh, for some reason, there either wasn't enough money or whatever, and so... The people in the community said, if the school doesn't have money, we will raise the money to build it. And so I had what is called the Jim Now Fund. And uh, when I came in, I came in right in the middle of, of the Jim Now Fund. And uh, the Jim Now Fund was raised by people having car washes, having bake sales, uh, selling pencils, anything that they were trying to get enough money so they would have they could build a gym that would be bigger than Muncie Central and we could have the regional here instead of having to go up there every time. And so uh, uh, we, play, we played in the Church Street gym my sophomore and junior year. Then my the, the field house was supposed to be ready for my senior year. And then in June, before my senior year, with the, the steel girders were all up. In fact, I went out at noon one time to see how things would come along in the middle of June and went home to eat lunch and before the day was over the uh, the steel girders all fell to the ground. Oh wow. And so we were on in the church street for one more year. Were you dis- were you disappointed in that? Would you would you have liked to have played in there? Sure. <laughs> yeah, hey, you know you got disappointments, but but it's also it, it was fun to play at the Church Street. You really got a home home field advantage, as they say. Now, now, uh, speak, uh, spe- speaking of that, it, it holds about eighteen hundred people, standing room only. What what kind of atmosphere was it play in the? What, what kind of atmosphere was it like for you to play it on Church Street? Well, you know, I, I think it all starts before the game. <laughs> if, if you you know if you come at at. Uh, you know, at five thirty, or if you go at three o'clock, there'll be people standing waiting to buy the standing room only only tickets. I always sold two hundred, and people would get there out there, but they would never sell them until till uh, five thirty. And so that would, you know, if you came by at, at three o'clock, there would be people out outside of of Church Street waiting to get in. And then, then I guess the other part of it, and, and the uh, the dressing rooms were underneath the floor. And so uh, 
because the B team game, people wanted to get there early. Uh, you know, there was a lot of stopping, yelling, and so forth. So downstairs, it, it had a, a real positive effect on getting you mentally ready for a basketball game. And then, then once you hit, came up the steps and hit the floor, you know, people right on top of you, and uh, they were, you know, cheering you on. It was, it was just a great place to play. Was there any place that you guys would travel to to play that you would find that would be similar in the uh, passion of the fans uh, when you played high school basketball? Well, um, Muncie Central was. Kokomo was. Uh, Rushville was a big time. Uh, you know, they always... Although, see, I, this is today people don't understand that, but I never played the game in my whole high school career that wasn't standing room only. <laughs> and so so the answer is, do I point out some, some place that was better than others? Well, maybe, but all of them were, were, you know, in the North Central Conference, the deal was this. You received, as a visitor, 75 tickets. That's it. And so there was 75 tickets for the visiting team, and the rest of them were the home team. And uh, so you, it was obviously tilted towards the home team on the, in all the cheering and so forth. <laughs> was there a particular gym, gymnasium that you would travel to that you kind of uh, just liked to get in there and win and get out? Uh, I don't know that... There were gyms I really liked. I, you know, I I could play every game in the world at uh, Indianapolis Tech's gym, if possible. That that I suppose maybe was my favorite. My second favorite would be Rushville, and both of them were great shooting gyms. Uh, and you know, you could they all, always had long nets, and you always had a good background to shoot on. And so uh, I always had good good games at those two places you sort of wished you could play there uh four or five games a year i know recruiting and stuff like that back then was a little bit a lot different than it is today but do you remember a lot different do do you remember your first letter or your first time that someone you know uh you know wanted to recruit you or wanted you to play for them um i think it was vanderbilt but i'm not sure uh, Vanderbilt was really they really pushed for Indiana kids at that time uh, they got a lot of kids out of out of Evansville but, and, and Lafayette Jeff sent some down there and uh, so uh, you know, Roy Skinner was up, up in this area a lot uh, and so they, they pushed uh, Cliff Wells was at, at Tulane and he uh, really pushed for Indiana kids. Uh, I think those were the first two that were that were out there. But recruiting was not even close to what it is today. When did Indiana University come knocking, and who came knocking for them? Well, I knew they had seen me at least two or three times. But uh, actually, how it happened. Danny Danielson, who was a great Indiana University alumni, who just passed away about three weeks ago. Yes, I saw that. Uh, and uh, Danny, Danny lived here in Newcastle, and uh, it, it went something like this. McCracken called uh, Danny and said, uh, <laughs> "Yeah, tell, tell baby we want him and ask him if he'll come down and come to school. And Danny, Danny, Danny called my dad and said, uh, whenever your son comes home, tell him that we crack him like having to play for you. And uh, I'll take you down next week sometime to meet him. <coughs> was there, so that, was, that was a great recruiting of, <laughs> of, uh, of uh, the Indiana legend TV. <laughs> Well, it sounds like that that's something that continued on. I, I, I talked to Steve Ries, uh, Steve Risley, and uh, his phone call was a phone call from Bobby Knight, from somebody from Bobby Knight's camp saying, we want you to come to Indiana University. Do you want to? You know, there was, there was no visits. There were, you know, it was you know, by phone call only. But that's changed a lot in the past uh, probably 15, 20 years. A lot. Yes. Um, tell us, 
so so Vanderbilt would have been the only other school that we could have saw you in uniform. And and why did you decide to go to Indiana University? Well, well, Purdue recruited, but but uh, why? Uh, you know, I I grew up a great Indiana fan. You know, I I grew up in that period of time. If you if you go back and remember, uh, in 1952, there were no television basketball games in college. Right. Zero. It was in that year that Indiana University started uh, televising some of their home games. Uh, in, there's a great chapter in, in, the, in the book Branch that uh, was written about Branch McCracken that talks about this first basketball team, basketball game that was, t- that was on TV and all the things they had to do it, like WTTV, who was doing the game actually only had two uh, cameras, and so they had news at six, and then they ran the cameras from from Sarkastarjian's uh, central office building to uh, the gym on the university campus, set them up one on one end, one on the other, and they had, then they did the ball game, and then they took the two cameras back <laughs> to do the news at, at ten or eleven, whatever time it was, and. Uh, it wasn't it wasn't great coverage, but but it was better than nothing. It sure made uh, uh, when you started thinking about that was really the start of the real good fifty uh, three team that won the national championship. So that it was it was fun to watch. You know, people people in Indiana would remember that it it always started out with Paul Lennon saying with his chesty potato chip bag saying I got my ticket if you got yours, and it had such a tremendous impact on. Chesty potato chips that they went from one uh, uh, eight-hour day to three eight-hour days just to try to keep enough potato, potato chips in <laughs> in uh, Indiana, Southern Indiana, for the people who were trying to buy their ticket for Indiana basketball. Going into your senior year at Newcastle High School, you know um, who were some of the great players that you knew you were going to have to play against during that season. Well, uh, uh, Muncie Central had had what I call the All Americans, Bonham, Dampier, and, and Davis, and then uh, one guard was Jimmy Nettles, who who became an All Pro defensive back for the Rams, who uh, who was really and and won the state in the hurdles. So I mean, they had athletes, and then then probably the toughest kid on that the starting five was Dave Hawpines, who. Uh, was just meaner than a snake, and uh, so they were really good. And of course, Jim Rail at, at uh, Kokomo, who may be the best shooter ever. That, uh, as far as as uh, ability and 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 you know, he truly could shoot the basketball from half court. People talk about that. Well, Jim did. Uh, you know, they people from Purdue talk about Mount. Well. With all due respect, I don't think uh, Mount could could uh, shoot the same way Jim could. So you saw that game. That game is on the schedule. Did you? Did you? Was it? Did you have? What was your mental state in getting prepared for? Of course, what is now called the legendary, you know, Church Street uh, shootout. Uh, so you're talking about before the the season even starts? Why? No, no, no. As as the game as the game is building up to being played, what was your mental state, or did you even think about it at all, or it did? Uh, and take us through take us through that game. Well, first of all, you need to know that at that particular time in the North Central Conference, probably. In fact, I I took a look just the other day, and at that particular time, there were four or five teams consistently in the top ten in the state: uh, Muncie Central, Newcastle. Kokomo, uh, now Shortridge had we we played we we always considered Shortridge even though they weren't in the conference one of us uh, and uh, and then then Logansport was was in there uh, and and so you, you know you started looking and and at this particular point we had, we had lost one game in the conference and that was to Muncie. Uh, let's see, Kokomo uh, lost a couple. They, 
but but you know you started getting and you started looking and and the people who were the scoring leaders not that that made much difference to anybody but uh, really ran to with, with three people and that was Pavey Bottom and Rail in some order they would flip flop back and forth uh, Billy Cuppy from Logan would would be in there from time to time because he'd have a big game uh, and and so there was always people writing about uh, those three people I suppose more than anybody else and so you started mentally preparing uh, what do you do against this team that team and the other team and and you, you really prepare as to what kind of defenses they're going to play well you knew that that uh, uh, Muncie was going to play mostly zone because they had the big kids that could just jam it up underneath and then, then they were going to come out with pretty hard with, with Nettles and Hoffines but with for guards and since we were guard oriented that was really going to be their, their process but but when you played Kokomo probably they were going to play man to man the whole game uh, the other guard as we, as we talk about uh, was Chuck Fawcett well Chuck Fawcett was a great athlete at Kokomo. He won the state broad jump championship when he was a senior. He went on to be a, a pretty good halfback at, at Indiana. Uh, he was just a great athlete, and uh, he was going to play you one-on-one. So you, you try to think, what are we going to do? How do we set up a person? Uh, where do you want picks to come from, and, and where do you want cuts to go? And and you you sort of play that in your mind, and you play the game over, you know, a hundred times before it ever happens. Uh, and once you get there, then you know people are right on top of you, they're yelling, screaming, and uh, once you get one break, then you start and you say, "Well, we can do that again." Uh, I happen to remember in the Kokomo game, Gilliam was one of the forwards, and Bill Fisher, who who's an oncologist here in Newcastle and Muncie right now was at one forward and uh, he said I don't think Gilliam's very smart he says I think I'd go up and sit on the top row of the bleachers and he'd go sit up with me because <laughs> they're playing a pure man to man so he'd say I'm just going to do something and then you bring the ball down on my side of the court and then you can drive all the way to the basket so so that was sort of the mindset that was going on so you get into that game I mean, I mean, what was the crowd like? Uh, could you, uh, could anybody on your squad get underneath Jimmy Rail's skin? And and how did that game start out? It was my worst quarter ever. Personally, the first quarter, I missed seven layups. Now, how's that for a you know a really great player? Fortunately, uh, uh, Dale Foster tipped in four of them, so so it didn't go uh, for naught. But you know. Everybody was, you know, we're, we're down to the fact that we're playing that if we win and, and Muncie loses, we win the North, North Central Conference. Uh, so it's a big team game. Right. And people tend to forget how important it was as a team game. The other thing that's important and people tend to forget today, and that is uh, at that particular time, most of Kokomo... And most of Newcastle works someplace in the automotive industry. And so that meant, uh, and in fact, that was true of most all of, of uh, the North Central Conference. So, you know, at that particular time, Anderson had 48,000 people working for GM. And so we had people from Marion and that would walk, that worked side to side with somebody from Newcastle and who worked side to side for somebody from Kokomo. Interesting. And, and so, 40 hours a week, five days a week, I mean, it was yelling, screaming, shouting about how we're so much better than you are. <laughs> and, and and what happened, we, we, in Newcastle, there was a Chrysler plant, and Coppola, there was a big Chrysler plant, and when one of them was laid off at one place, they went to the other place to work. <laughs> uh, and so we had lots of Kokomo people working in Newcastle, and lots of Newcastle people working in Kokomo at this particular time. And so... Uh, there was uh, lots of heated rivalry at that particular time. And so that, that increased the intensity 
throughout the community to be very truthful about it. Uh, particularly at Kokomo, Kokomo, Anderson, and Muncie, all big time uh, people really had had antagonistic feelings for the other team, uh, and not necessarily people who were playing, but people who were not playing, uh, because they were going to work forty hours a week next to this guy, and they were going to have to listen. If you you know if they got if we got beat, then they were going to have to listen for forty hours to this guy tell us how how what a bunch of dogs we were. And how much better their their team was, and so forth and so on. <laughs> so, were, during the game, during that shootout, did you did did it hit you after the game of how how this was going to run down in Indiana lore, Indiana high school basketball lore, or when you were playing the game, were you like, wow, back and forth, back and forth? Of course, you guys you guys won pretty handedly, but did you think it was going to mean so much today? Uh, even when it was played back when you guys played it, uh, to be honest, no. To be honest, I had I had no idea how many points I had. Uh, people say, "Well, you got to be kidding me." Well, I, I did. I did not know how many points I had had until about a minute and a half left in the game, and I was at foul line, and the Fisher ran over to the scoring bench to find out how many points I had and came back and said you got 50 <laughs> I, said, I thought he was teasing me to be very truthful that, that's that's the first time I had any, even a notion of how many points um, so at, at the end of the game I mean was there was there you know what kind of sportsmanship was it like in the North Central Conference too was did you guys respect each other was there you know was there any animosity toward each other well we obviously wanted to beat the other team but no that in fact, uh, uh, you became friends with with uh, the people that that played uh, mainly because you knew you were going to have to play against them. Other thing, you respected them a whole bunch because they were really good. Uh, and so uh, you you met and after the game, shook hands, wished them well, and we were, you're on your way. But you remember, this is the last game of the year, and and so. Uh, Four or five days later, you're going to be playing again in the sectional, and you're going to start your tournament run. What kind of uh, tournament run success did you have while you were at Newcastle? Well, not very good. We we won the sectional twice and got beat got beat in the final game of the sectional when I was a sophomore by Muncie Central. Truthfully, on a fluke, we should, we had them beat and cut up, and then. Uh, when we we played Muncie Central when I was a senior, and we had won the sectional, uh, and all of our kids, everybody was sick except me, and uh, we we played really well for a half, but the last half we had people who had been so sick just just breathing was a full time job. <laughs> So you graduate from Newcastle High School. You head on down. You head on over to Indiana University, the Bloomington campus. You play freshman basketball. What was? Were you kind of nervous about going to Indiana University? And once you got onto campus, uh, what was your mindset? Um, I suppose everybody's nervous because you're going to a different, a different situation. Uh, I guess my mindset pretty much set up in Indiana. And that is, I figured out that number one, you know, a freshman was not eligible to play right. games, and so I looked, and we had an All-American center, uh, Walt Bellamy, who, who played on what well, I think the greatest a- amateur team ever, the the '60 Olympic team, which had West and Oscar and and Terry Dishinger and and uh, Luke and and uh, Walt. I mean, and you know, I knew that what we needed is somebody who could pass the ball because we had plenty of people that could shoot. And so my game was going to change. I was going to go from a scorer to a passer and a setup person. What was freshman basketball like back then? Well, you just practiced every day, and and you played inter squad games before the varsity games. Uh, it was a pain in the neck in lots of ways. <laughs> you know, I, I hear all these people talking about about going back to that particular process, and uh, I don't know. 
let the good people in, let them play. <laughs> you know, I understand the concept. The concept is you're going to get a good, a solid administration of education in that first year. Except, you know, what we have to learn is from the academies, and the academies brought brought everybody in during the summer before their their freshman year. They took two or three courses, and so they were ready to start out. Well, well, that's what in you know in Indiana, that's what they're doing now. You know, the the three scholarship players are are on campus right now taking taking courses, and so they're going to have you know three courses, two courses out of the way, and and uh, you end up having lots of lots of people graduating after three years because they do the summer school thing, and uh, you know I think that's much much wiser than than having a year off. Did you become a better ball player, or did you uh, understand the uh, Branch McCracken system a little bit better by playing the freshman basketball? Uh, not necessarily. <laughs> <laughs> Coach, no, I would say, no, I'll be very honest. I don't think that, that uh, like I say, freshman basketball was not a real, was not a, it, it wasn't a, a negative thing, but it certainly wasn't a positive thing either. What was it like going into your sophomore year and and playing varsity? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah October fifteenth was the day you started back then, and uh, uh, now you really get nervous, uh, and, and you know that you know we got three or four yards back. Uh, uh, Gary Long had started for two years, so you knew one spot was pretty well taken care of. So you're really only going to talk talking about one, and you got some pretty good players looking for for one that one spot. So you knew that was going to rotate in. So you just, you started preparing each game, saying I may play and I may not play. What was a Branch McCracken practice like? Uh, well, nearly every night you scrimmage for an hour. Now, before that, you you might run some really strong pressing defensive stuff. Uh, he, I think, was one of the first people who who did a combination uh, zone, for example. He used to we used to play a zone that uh, the whole thing back there was the coaches would say. Uh, after you make the first pass, run through and see if they're going to stay with you or not. And if they stay with you, it's man to man. If they don't, it's it's a zone. And so McCracken figured out, well, if you want to do that, you just you run the the first person runs through. You just stay with him and he plays zone with the with the other four people until that guy can, uh, you play that one guy man to man. And uh, so sometimes we were setting up things like that in a in a practice. Uh, sometimes we, we spent a lot of time pressing full court because that's what McCracken would like to have done all the time. Uh, but we, <laughs> you know, Bellamy was not a full court press man. Uh, the other four probably could, but uh, uh, he, he he could play defense, but he he didn't want to press and do all those kinds of things. Was Coach McCracken like a, a a player's coach? Could could you chat with him? I mean, I mean, could you chat with him? Outside of basketball, and and did he do stuff uh, for his players? Yeah, uh, he he was. Uh, I, I'm trying to think how you. How, uh, I'm not. You know, people talk about player coaches, uh, and I'm not always sure what that means. Uh, but but one thing for sure, he, he was a person who was always able to motivate you and he was always able to really ooze confidence into you. You know, I never knew anybody that came there and played that when when they left didn't say I thought I was a better basketball player when Mac got a hold of me. And he just had the ability to do that. He made you think you were a good player. And then if you go back and look at his teams, they always shot well. And and shooting is all about confidence. Now, I know what travel's like for today's players, you know, uh, uh, jumbo jets and, and just the lifestyle. But what was travel like? 
back in the Big Ten? Uh, well, uh, we uh, traveled with the Purdue Airlines, to be very honest. <laughs> yeah, and my my first game we're playing that on the road. We're we're playing at at uh, at Kansas State in Manhattan, and uh, we're you know, which is really my my first uh, true airplane ride. And we got up and we got in a tremendous storm, and the Purdue Purdue uh, pilot got lost. <laughs> so we went down at the wrong airport and had to, and and you know by that time McCracken was yelling and screaming about the Purdue trying to do it to us again and uh, uh, so that that was my my introduction into travel uh, in the Big Ten and uh, learning to hate Purdue early. <laughs> Coach, I know it's hard to do, but can you tell us about the accident? Uh, well, I was uh, I was heading to to uh, up in the region for a for a fraternity brother's wedding, and uh, I was taking my sister and her her uh, three kids to meet her husband at there, so because he was he was uh, stationed as a chaplain at at uh, Great Lakes. And they'd come down and spend a week with us. And so, you know, back then, nobody started school after uh, Labor Day weekend. So this was a Saturday, Labor Day weekend. And and uh, so I was taking them back up so they could go to school the next week. And, and uh, we're on the way and was on 41. And uh, I got hit by a... A truck uh, carrying racehorses. Wow. And what what was you know when you you realize what happened and you're in the hospital? Uh, what were some of your first thoughts? Well, it's, it was it was September second and October fifteenth weren't that many days around, and I need to get up and get back and get so I can get in good shape. Right. So, what was the what you know? Can you can you elaborate a little bit more on your injuries and and you know when you finally did get back to Indiana University, where the support that was given to you? Would, did, did you have a did you have a hard time mentally getting through what you went through through the crash? Uh, yeah. Uh, it, it, the 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 place of the of the traffic accident was near Fowler. Uh, and so they took uh, they took uh, Lafayette to St. Elizabeth's Hospital, and it was there on on that evening that uh, they said we don't think he'll ever walk again. But if what we'll have to do is is have have uh, a uh, surgery on your back with local anesthetic. Uh, because we want to know if we hurt you at any time, and it's going to be about six or seven hours, and maybe we can help you. Well, it, it didn't, but it was a long six or seven hours because you're awake all the time because it was a local anesthetic. And uh, so, you know, you go through all kinds of mental languages as you identify, you know, how you're going to live, no for you know, all those questions that people ask themselves, and and then, but. I was out of school a year, and then, uh, you know, fortunately, I, I was really lucky about going back to school. Uh, I was in a fraternity, and, and uh, they made so I could could, could stay there, and, and uh, fraternity brothers helped me get places. Uh, you know, President Wells was incredible. I mean, they moved classes. They moved every class that I had to have to where I could get to, because I was the only I was the only handicapped student on campus at that particular time. You know, they didn't have handicap. You know, you didn't have handicapped students. If you're going to handicapped students, you're going to go to Illinois. They're really the only one that was taking care of of people in wheelchairs and so forth. So they were President Wells would would move classes around. Uh, for me, except for one class, a zoology class, which was on the third floor of the, of the chemistry building, and 
they were not going to give me a key to to the freight elevator in the chemistry building. There, there were too many things that they were afraid of that might be lost somehow. <laughs> and uh, and so I ended up uh, I had to to take take zoology class at at IUPUI uh, so I could graduate and. Uh, I couldn't do that until the summer after I, I had I had the, I was two years, one year off, and two years, and then that summer I took uh, took zoology at IUPI, and back then they only had one commencement, so so instead of graduating in May of '64, it was May of '65 before I got my degree. Coach, when did you? When did the idea of you know what I, I want to coach the game of basketball? When 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 did that represent itself? About four. <laughs> I, that's, that's that's always what I wanted to do. I I was more interested in truly being a basketball coach than I was being a player. Uh, although I enjoyed playing, gosh, I you know it was the best. Uh, but 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 I I can't remember. You know when I was when I was four years old, that was what I wanted to be. Really. Yes, uh, and I don't ask me exactly why, other than that was just it. You know, somebody wants to be a fireman and policeman, or or they want to be cowboy. This, that, and the other thing. <laughs> yeah, I always wanted to be a basketball coach. So, how did that path? How did that path open up after you graduated from Indiana University? Well, first of all, to to again tell what President Wells did. First of all, to be. At that particular time, there was a law that said if you're going to be a head basketball coach in Indiana, you had to have either a major or minor in physical education. That was a law, state law. Uh, it, it, it went by the way side pretty good, but for me, it was still there. And so they really wanted me to get out of the school of physical education because they didn't know how to handle me, and I understood that. But I said, well, at least let me get you know, so I could coach. And so, again, President Wells says, you will do it. <laughs> and it was done. And, you know, here, here we are with, with the president of, of the university with maybe 30,000 people, and he was still a, a person that cared about the individual. So I was really lucky uh, from what happened outside of athletics uh, as well as what happened inside of athletics. And so... So I got to get my degree with with a minor in PE, so so I could end up being could coach, and then uh, uh, I couldn't get a, couldn't get a job in education when I graduated from from college because they said you couldn't do that in a wheelchair, and and so I I went to work for uh, Modern Fold Industries, which made folding doors, and worked for a year. And then I got an opportunity. There was a, a job that opened up at the last second. Uh, I, I seem like I'm getting always getting something that opens up at the last second that that helps. And so with, in Middletown, and it was a job in in uh, in business, and and I had a business minor, and uh, so I didn't need one more class <laughs> to get my my teaching degree. And so the superintendent says, if you'll go back and get that, I'll sign you to a contract. And so uh, I I went to Ball State, and again, a, a, a person who had, who, who had taught in Newcastle, Ben Irwin, said, we can get you in. And the people said, well, you know, this is too late to enroll. He says, we'll enroll you. <laughs> and so, so I, I was able to do that, got got the teaching degree, taught at Middletown for a year, uh, and then that year they fired the basketball coach at Sulphur Springs. Well, Sulphur Springs, I could, there were 92 kids in high school. They had uh, won one game the previous season. <laughs> the season before that, they'd won zero games, <laughs> and the year before that, they won two, so <laughs> So in three years they'd won three games, but I, I did. I happened to have worked at a basketball camp where one or two of them, of the, when they were in the fifth and sixth grade, of the players, and I knew they, that we could do something with this. So I went out 
this is all in the same school corporation. Middletown, Silver Springs, Caddis is all one. And so I knew that there was only going to be one more year that they were going to have have the breakdown before they get, came into Shenandoah. So I applied for the head basketball job at Sulphur Springs, and I talked to one of the one of the school board members who was from that area who who I had worked with at, at Modern Fold, and he said, "Why do you want this job? This has to be the worst job in the world." <laughs> they, they didn't win any a year ago. They only won one last last year. You know you're going to get beat every game, and I said I don't think so. <laughs> I th- I think the only reason I got it because I think I was the only person that applied. <laughs> and so, uh, fortune eleven, we won thirteen. So so I made a pretty decent uh, evaluation of how how some of those kids could play. Uh, so it was it was a it was maybe a, as an enjoyable year as I've ever had in my life. I coached three sports, taught seven different subjects and uh, and took care of, of uh, other things that were involved but uh, I got a chance to coach and that was really fun and then that and then that ter- that school turns into Shenandoah is that correct correct and and how long did you coach at Shenandoah I coached six years okay um, during the, any any tournament success while you were at Shenandoah well we won one sectional That was all. Now you got to remember part of that time. Now that we're now playing against uh, Kent Benson on the other <laughs> on Newcastle, so they were pretty successful. Uh, and and not only did they have Kent that, that played in Indiana, they had another kid who was six nine that that played it that started four years for Dayton, and then uh, a couple of other kids that went on and played Division One. So they had they had plenty of players there. I mean. Uh, we we only won one, but uh, that's you know that's probably all there. And and the other team that was that was good earlier than that was uh, Mike Edwards from Greenfield, who went on to be an All American at, at Tennessee. Uh, you know, and has all their scoring records over there. I mean, our our sectional was pretty tough. And so we only got one. I wish we'd gotten more, but uh, we got that. Then, then uh, in the in the regional, we won in the afternoon, and, and then at night, uh, this is probably the one that haunts you the most. We were up seventeen on Muncie Central. Oh wow! And and uh, uh, this is this is the only time I ever thought that the officials took me out of the game. <laughs> and before the game, before the we were up to 17 in the third quarter. Nobody had more than two fouls before four minutes to go in the fourth quarter. We had fouled out four people. Wow. Now, that's that's hard to understand. It, it, it is the only game that I've ever had that I had multiple coaches call me and said, I'm, I'm in the stands watching that game, and you really got to put to you. And... Uh, so that's the way it is, <laughs> and uh, the that particular class had their had their uh, had the reunion a couple of weeks ago, and they invited me to come out. And, and one of my friends said, "How many times have you been asked about about the Nazi Central game in the regional?" <laughs> and I said, "About a million. And he said, "That's a few less than I have." <laughs> Uh, so, so why did you decide to get out of coaching and and go into the, um, uh, I guess uh, the upper, ha- you know, into school administration? I got fired. <laughs> I I had, I had a school board member's son. I'm not, you know, I'm not very smart. Uh, that was that was uh, six years before, but he ran specifically to to have an opportunity to fire me. Wow. So, and we we were nineteen and five, and they they said they wanted to go another direction was the the reason. Uh, and we went nineteen and five with a a team that probably should have been uh, eleven eleven or twelve wins at the most. Uh, in fact, that was probably my best coaching job 
and uh, I got fired. So, so I went back. I went. And I, I moved. I got a job in Newcastle. Then went back and and uh, uh, got a doctorate and and moved into administration. Uh, any any you know after that any um, any people wanted you as a head coach or you decided just to stay where you were at or did you get the urge or the itch? I think you always get the, the itch is not necessarily uh, to go back in and coach only. The itch is to the fun part of basketball. With number one was relationships, and you never get them anywhere else like you do in a small team that has 10 people on it or 12. Uh, you know, you really, I mean, you're, you're a coach, you're a father, you're a friend, you're all the other things, and uh, sometimes they tell you things that you really wish you, they hadn't told you. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, you have kids that, that have all kinds of problems, you know, it may be problems with their their parents are having a problem and maybe going to divorce. You know, you go through all those things and uh, you miss the relationships. But you also miss preparing for games because games were, you know, know, it's sort of you prepared, you're trying to to match wits against somebody else. And either you do or you don't. Or or maybe your players just aren't good enough to do it. But, But at least you match wits and the other thing that was happening back then is coaches and referees were friends. We, you know, when I was coaching Shenandoah, we always, you know, nearly every game after the game, the coaches and the referees met, and usually it was at Pendleton, uh, at, at, at a bar over there and had, had sandwiches together. And we might talk about the game, or the game may never come up at all. Uh, we were just friends. And I, I think, unfortunately, that's not happening today. Uh, but, you know, you know, I think, you know, Jimmy Dimitrov, who, who was a great official, is still a close friend today. You know, you, you, go, you, go, you go down looking at all the people that refereed games when I was in high school, and, and you think about Marvin Todd, who was a great person, and and uh, you know Jerry Steiner, and you know I was I was interesting. I said, I'm reading, I read the book the Undefeated about the University of Evansville team where Sloan and and Humes and all those guys were undefeated and won the national championship on what now they call the, the Division Two championship, right? And were undefeated all in. And and I started looking at all their their officials, because they, they, in this book, it's it's got every every page of Evansville with, of, about the game and the box score. I love box scores because box scores back then would also tell you who the referees were. Right. And gosh, all the all the referees that were refereeing at that level refereed high school. I mean, we really had good referees. You know, uh, you know the the people that, that you know. You know, McBride was a great official. Uh, uh, you know, he, he was the Zeke Williams, the Laird brothers, uh, the Jacob brothers. I mean, all of them are great officials, and and, and they would they might have the the finals of of the uh, of the Division Two championship game. All so, of all of them were great, except the ones that you had in the regional final against Muncie Central. Yeah, and I do know who they are. <laughs> Coach, what was it like getting the phone call from the? Or where did where do you remember where you were at, or who told you that you'd been inducted into the Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame, and what does that what did that mean to, uh, for you and your family? Um. Well, I, one, I was surprised, and, and it, it came from Bob Strait, who who uh, then was president of the Hall of Fame. Uh, you know, Bob was a great, great basketball coach. Uh, and also, just happenstance, uh, was the principal where my nephew worked, and I had I had called him to to try, try to help my my nephew get get a radio and television job there at Huntington North. So we had been you know close friends for a long 
period of time, and I had such great respect for him. So that coming from him, that was was really something special. You know, I, you had to think sometime. You know, this was probably a cocky attitude, but Rail got in the, the year before, and <laughs> I I had heard people say they should have put Paving Rail in at the same time because they were clo- they were all joined by the hip, and I said didn't think that was necessarily true, but I but I had to think that somebody was thinking about me someplace along the line. Although I'm not sure that that uh, I was all that that good, but. Uh, uh, I was really happy to get in, uh, and and uh, I had gone to the the Hall of Fame induction for a number of years because uh, young Phil Eskew, uh, the IHSA commissioner's son, and I had grown up together because the older Phil was superintendent of schools at Sullivan when I was down there, so we played on the fifth and sixth grade basketball team on up through freshmen together and, and still remain close friends today so uh, uh, I had a great feeling for, for what was there you know I, I, I one of the great speeches of all times was when Joe Dean was was inducted and, and he talked about about uh, string music and all the things that he would talk about when when he was uh AD at Louisiana State and did the SEC games of the week on television. And he was just incredible in there. So, so I I guess I had I'd seen all the people and I that I didn't know exactly how you got in, but uh, uh, I had watched all the people being selected and uh, but I thought maybe someday uh, I'll get there. What do you do? Uh, you're, you're currently, and how long have you had the position of being the treasurer of the Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame? Oh, 27 years. <laughs> they just keep coming back to get you over and over and over? Well, one of the things that helps is I live in, in Newcastle. Exactly. So, you know how long it takes for them to get me to, to the Hall of Fame if they need me right away? Well, it, I suppose it takes four minutes to get there. <laughs> so, so I'm, I'm, sort of the logical person on the board of directors that uh, probably should do that. Plus, when I was an assistant superintendent of schools at Newcastle, I was a bean counter, so so uh, they thought that made sense. And uh, so I'm, I'm trying to, I don't know, maybe 92, I think I started, 91, something like that. Uh, but I became became the treasurer and I've been it ever since you know the the Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame is just a marvelous place to go I went a couple of years ago I got a nice little tour of the archives downstairs by the director Chris May and it's just an amazing amazing you know the only uh, Hall of Fame for basketball the only state that has that within the whole United States of America well now Kentucky has just started in the last three months again they had one and then lost it because it, it went under. Uh, and now they they've got it in a church in Elizabethtown, but but uh, it's not anything like Indiana's. I mean, ours is incredible. You can, you come in when you come, you ought to spend four hours because there's things you want to see and you want to hear, and and uh, there's some interaction stuff. Uh, see if you can block Oscar Robinson's shot. Uh, there's a there's a great one for kids who think they want to be sports announcers, uh, you make the call, and there's there's five or six uh, games which are on, and, and uh, you can record the uh, the game that you're seeing, uh, and so it, it's just an outstanding place, and, and Chris May is just an incredible uh, executive director, we're, we're really lucky to have him. You know, when you said Kentucky had a, a Hall of Fame, I, I had 15 jokes come to mind, but I was a good uh, interview host and didn't say anything about Kentucky. And also, I have made uh, a financial contribution to the Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame by spending about $15 and trying to make that shot on the basketball hoop. Well, tell us you made it. Uh, I'd, I'd be lying if I told you I hit it. <laughs> oh. 
I well, I'll tell to... you, it is, it is fun to watch kids. I, that, that really, I, we counted up. It absolutely wore out part of the part of the innards of the of that. We've just replaced it. So, in in uh, in the twenty five years, it's been it was used so many times that it wore out. And and they were the people who originally did the the uh, uh, whole thing said we never believed it would, <laughs> would become even close this many times. So anyway, but it's fun to watch kids and. The, uh, watch the kids' eyes light up whenever they make one. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I've never had the opportunity to do that, but I did spend quite a few quarters. Well, we appreciate it, <laughs> um, Coach. How can how can uh, people donate uh, to the Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame, or you know, uh, t- to help it grow and build like it's growing leaps and bounds now? Well, I think the the first and best part, in my humble opinion. Is, is we we have memberships that are available now for a hundred bucks, so it's not a huge amount. But for a hundred bucks, you also get uh, we do a Indiana uh, Indiana basketball high school magazine four times a year, and I don't know if you've seen it, but it's incredible. Oh, it's an awesome it's an awesome publication. It is it is it is there are, there are stories in there that that just uh, the, the, my my all time favorite was the one where where they had the had the uh, on an old old gym and they had the basketball on the door that swang or uh, that would swing around <laughs> and uh, somehow was somebody was coming in when somebody shot and uh, and it went all the way around and went in and the and the official didn't count it because it said the basket was moving. <laughs> So that that was a new one on me, I guess. Uh, but you know, we, you know, the the magazine which we did honoring John Wood was, which was written by by many people who had played for him and so forth and so on, was was uh, as good a magazine as any magazine ever in the world, in my humble opinion. And they could go to what it's called hoopshall.com. Correct. Okay. No, just an amazing, just a, an amazing, amazing um, Hall of Fame. I can't say I can say it over and over. Coach, can you tell us a little bit about the uh, Ray Pavey Sp- Sp- uh, Spirit Scholarship and how that came about? Uh, well, uh, uh, again, if we get back to Danny Danielson, the, the Indiana University uh, has has some some uh, regional core, uh, campuses, and one of them is in in IU East. And uh, which is a Richmond, and they were raising some money, and and Danny said, "What happens if we would would uh, just have a scholarship, and and we would say they would either go to IU East, and we have a we have a a campus here on in Newcastle, which we call the Danielson Center, or the Danielson Center, and anybody could have this, and so." He put some money up and said, "I'll, you know, people come in, I'll match it." And so, over a period of time, people uh, were kind enough to to contribute some, and, and uh, so we, over the years, and it's not been all that many years, I guess, uh, we we've been able to give uh, over eighty scholarships oh, to people to to uh, go to school. And we're now around long enough that we've had somebody we've we've renewed scholarships and so forth until we've had, I guess, two people now who've graduated that have been on the scholarship all the way through. So that's really the fun part of the whole process when when uh, you you've done uh, something and uh, it's helped you know somebody graduate and get a job someplace and, and really improve their life. I was I was at a just this last week, I was at a, a business here in town, and uh, the person who was was uh, waiting on me said, "You don't know me, but but gave her name and said, my daughter got your scholarship, and she's going to graduate next semester." Oh man, that so, was probably really man, that was awesome. That's awesome. You, yeah, you, I, you know, you just you can't imagine how good that makes you feel, and you think, guys, at least some person. 
I don't know, but it's really impacted their lives. Well, Coach, the hour goes by quick. I, I We have been joined by Dr. Ray Pavey, uh, Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame inductee in 1990 and Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame treasurer. Coach, thank you so much for uh, your help in keeping the nostalgia alive and spending some time with us today. Well, it's been fun. Well, thank you very much. I went ahead and uh, 